I invite you to open up in God's Word to the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 2, verses 5 through 12. 1 Thessalonians, chapter 2, verses 5 through 12. The title of our message today is Genuine Gospel Ministry, Self-Sacrificial. Genuine Gospel Ministry, Self-Sacrificial. And we'll begin by reading uh, from God's Word this passage of Scripture. So if you'll follow along in your copy as I read, this is the Word of God. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for uh, your word. Thank you that your word teaches us about salvation through Jesus Christ, how we can be rescued from our sins. Thank you that your word teaches us how to live in a, in a manner that brings you honor and glory. Uh, Father, we are grateful for the opportunity to get to uh, study your word, to read it, to hear it preached. Father, to, um, to, to think about it, meditate upon it, and, and consider how it applies to our lives. But Father, we know that in and of ourselves, we can't, uh, we can't gain anything useful uh, from your word that would that would lead us to salvation and lead us to a life where you are honored and glorified if you didn't work inside of us. And Father, we know that your Holy Spirit is at work. And so we ask that uh, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, through the, 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 the reading and preaching and study of your word, Father, that you would be at work inside of inside of all of us uh, over the next few minutes as we uh, just spend some time in your beautiful and glorious word. Lord, be honored and glorified in all that is said and done um, as your word is preached. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever had to defend yourself against a false accusation? You probably have. Maybe it was something small or maybe it was something really large. Well, that's the boat that the Apostle Paul found himself in after preaching the gospel in Thessalonica. He was accused of being a fraud, uh, a fake, and thus he found it necessary to defend himself against uh, those accusations um, that the Thessalonian believers were, were hearing about Paul and his uh, companions. Just to give us some context for the verses that we just read and that we're going to study today, let's recap for a moment um, uh, where we've been so far in this letter. In verse 1, we found out uh, the human authors are Paul and Silvanus and Timothy, and then uh, we find out who they're writing to. They're writing to the 
to the church at Thessalonica. They had gone there uh, and they had preached the gospel message. The gospel uh, is the good news that even though we're sinners, God still loves us. And he showed his love for us and that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross, to take our place, to take our punishment upon himself. And then Jesus rose up from the grave, conquering sin and Satan and death uh, on our behalf. And everyone who believes in Jesus um, gets to experience forgiveness of sin and gets to uh, become a citizen of God's kingdom, um, even though we don't deserve that. It's a, it's a beautiful, free gift of grace. And, and that's the good news message that the Apostle Paul um, and his companions preached to the Thessalonians. And, uh, and if you'll, if, I'll go ahead and say at the beginning of this message, if, if you've never trusted in that gospel message, you need to do what these Thessalonian believers did. They believed in Jesus for salvation, and, and you need to do that as well. You need to turn from your sin and trust in Jesus Christ alone to save you. He's the only one who can do that. But that's the message of the gospel, the good news message that was preached to the Thessalonians, and many of them believed. And so we find that out in in verse 1, who's writing and who he's writing to. But then in verse 2, we see um, that uh, Paul and his companions give thanks uh, for these Thessalonians. And this thanksgiving um, takes the form of evidence for the salvation of the Thessalonians. And that section runs all the way through uh, chapter 1, verse 10. Then in chapter 2, verse 1, uh, Paul begins to address um, these accusations that uh, some people were making against him and, and may have started making them while he was there, but also um, definitely were making them after he left uh, the city of Thessalonica. And so he's going to refute these false claims that um, that he and his companions were, were frauds, that they were fake, that they were really just there to, to, to make a name from themselves and for personal gain. Um, they weren't really there because they loved and cared for the Thessalonians. Um, but Paul wants to make sure they realize, no, he does care for them. And, and if the Thessalonians begin to doubt Paul and his companions um, and their motivation and, and the methods that they use while they're there, well, they're going to end up doubting the gospel message. And so this is, this is a big deal for, for Paul. And so he proceeds in chapter 2 to provide evidences to prove to the Thessalonians the genuineness of their gospel ministry uh, when they were in Thessalonica. And Paul's defense of his ministry runs from verse 1 all the way through verse 12. Now, last week we studied the first two evidences in verses 1 through 4. In verse 1 and 2, Paul defended their ministry by pointing to the circumstances surrounding their gospel ministry in Thessalonica. Uh, they were bold in the face of opposition. That's verse 1 and 2. And then in verse 3 and 4, Paul defended their ministry by explaining their motivation for ministering the gospel. They were motivated by obedience to God rather than dishonest motives stemming from a, a fear of man. Today we want to look at the third evidence in verses 5 through 12, which centers upon the manner in which they ministered the gospel, or you could say the, the methods they used to minister the gospel to the Thessalonians. What is the manner or the method which characterizes genuine gospel ministry? Well, I think we can summarize it here in this passage by saying that it is self-sacrificial. The manners and methods of genuine gospel ministry are self-sacrificial. Let me give you a a main idea statement for uh, our time today. As a minister of the gospel, you must combine your proclamation of the gospel with a lifestyle of self-sacrifice. As a minister of the gospel, you must combine your proclamation of the gospel with a lifestyle of self-sacrifice. Now, before we 
jump in and examine this third evidence in more detail. I just want to remind you real quick of something that we, we talked about last week um, that Paul does in this passage to reinforce his defense. Um, not only does he provide evidence here, but he also uh, provides witnesses, which is a good thing if you're trying to make a case. If you're on the defense, you want witnesses. And if you'll recall from last week, um, as we studied verses 1 through 4, we said throughout this whole passage, verses 1 through 12, we see Paul calling the Thessalonians to the witness stand, and we see him calling uh, God to the witness stand. And you'll see this through repeated phrases of, you know, as you know, you remember, you are witnesses. And then you'll see this um, uh, through repeatedly uh, talking about God and even referring to God as a witness. So just don't uh, don't forget to notice that as we study these verses today. Paul is making a case for the genuineness of his gospel ministry. He has witnesses. He has evidences. And he makes his case in such a way that we are able to learn much, not only about his ministry, but how we, too, can be genuine gospel ministers. Last week, we learned that genuine gospel ministry is characterized by boldness rather than fear of man, and that it is characterized by obedience rather than dishonest motives. That's verses 1 through 4. Today, I want us to learn this, that genuine gospel ministry is characterized by self-sacrifice rather than self-serving methods. Genuine gospel ministry is characterized by self-sacrifice rather than self-serving methods. Again, we see this in verses 5 through 12. Again, if you'll remember, uh, as we looked at verses 1 through 4, we, we saw that Paul's structure, the way he provides these evidences, is through this, this, um, this back and forth between the words for and but. For and but. For and but. He uses the word for, followed by a negative statement. Um, and then he uses the word but, followed by a positive statement. We saw this in verse 1 and verse 2. We saw this in verse 3 and verse 4. And now we see it again in verses 5 through 12. Verse 5 begins with the word for, with a negative statement, what they didn't do, found in verses 5 and 6. And then at the beginning of verse 7, he uses the contrasting word but and follows that with a word with a string of positive statements, what they did do. And we see this in verses 7 through 12. So let's first look at the negative statement in verses 5 and 6. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor the pretext for greed. God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether for you, from you or from others, that we could have made demands as apostle of Christ. What do we learn from these two verses? We learn this. False ministers work for their own benefit. False ministers work for their own benefit. Paul gives at least three, I'm going to say four, four ways in which false ministers work. But he states them again in a negative form. He states them in the form of a denial. Paul denies that he and his companions ministered the gospel in these ways. Apparently, those accusing Paul of being a fraud were making uh, certain accusations about their methods of ministry. They were claiming that Paul spoke flattering words with no substance, that he was simply greedy and that he was only trying to garner the praise of people. In other words, they were telling the Thessalonians, hey, Paul doesn't care about you. He was only in it for himself. At least that was the claim being made by these um, these people against Paul and his companions. But Paul denies it. And in his denial, we learn what selfish methods of false teachers looks like. The first self-serving method Paul denies is flattery for personal influence. 
flattery for personal influence. We see this in the first part of verse 5. Paul says, for we never came with words of flattery, as you know. You see, when you speak with flattery, you're simply saying nice things in order to gain some sort of influence over others. Perhaps uh, you've done this or seen this happen in maybe like dating relationships where someone speaks flattering words uh, to try to get the other person to, to like them. Well, in this particular context, uh, words of flattery are really just empty words spoken with the goal of getting a quick response of affirmation and that really have no lasting benefit for the listener. And Paul is saying, we didn't come with a big smile saying nice things about you, trying to make you feel better about yourself and trying just to get you to like us. This false method here of of words of flattery really follows uh, right on the heels, not only textually, but in practice as well, of the false motivation that Paul mentions in verse 3 when he says that their appeal does not spring from any attempt to deceive. And then in verse 4 where he says they spoke not to please man, but to please God. Paul was adamant throughout his ministry, and not just to the Thessalonians, that he had no desire to engage in flattery for personal influence. Listen to his words to the church at Corinth. He said this, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Listen, as gospel ministers, may we always be able to deny any use of flattery. We speak the truth of the gospel to people because that is what will benefit them. Words of flattery are only for the benefit of the speaker. Words of flattery are self-serving. The second self-serving method that Paul denies is this, greedy for personal gain. Paul denies being greedy for personal gain. We see this in the second part of verse 5. Paul says, nor with a pretext for greed. We didn't come with a pretext for greed. Do you think that This method, a pretext for greed, is ever used by false teachers? You better believe it is. You've probably seen them. You've probably seen them on TV. Promising healing and financial blessing if you'll just send in your seed of faith. Of course, that seed of faith takes the form of dollar bills uh, that those false teachers use to pad their pockets. The same was probably happening in Paul's day. Of course, just not on television. But there would have been false teachers who were just trying to get something out of it for themselves. But it's not just false teachers who can be tempted to use greedy methods. Even those of us who preach the true gospel message, we can be tempted to engage in methods um, where our goal is simply personal gain. A pastor could do things and say things just, just to draw a crowd in order to increase offerings for his own gain. A Christian who maybe has a has a ministry could try to engage a wealthy individual with the gospel just to get that person to donate money to that ministry. A a Christian could share the gospel with people just to brag about it to his pastor or to uh, to to his Christian friends. Paul calls this a pretext for greed or a, a cloak of greed. Again, the idea is that of dishonesty, of covering up your real intentions. Any method of gospel proclamation where the good of someone else is merely a cloak or a cover-up for a desire for personal gain has no place in genuine gospel ministry. Greedy behavior is self-serving. The third self-serving method Paul denies is being hungry for personal glory. 
hungry for personal glory. We see this in the first part of verse 6. What, what I mean by that is, is, is a desire for popularity. Desire for popularity. Paul says in verse 6, Nor did we seek glory from people, whether for you, from you or from others. You can kind of begin to see how all three of these are tied together. Words of flattery are often used to gain personal glory. Greedy conduct can lead to wealth, at least in, in the short run, which often leads to personal glory. Just think about it. How selfish would it have been for Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to preach salvation through Jesus for the glory of God when all they really wanted was glory for themselves? How selfish would it have been for them to pretend to make followers of Jesus when all they really wanted was followers for themselves? Paul says that was not the manner in which they preached the gospel. And, and we too must beware of the temptation to preach the gospel that way. Genuine gospel ministry doesn't try to steal the glory from God. There are a few things that make my stomach turn and my anger rise more than seeing a preacher or a, a Christian singer stand up and put on a show simply to draw applause for themselves all in the name of gospel proclamation. I can't stand that. But if I'm honest, I always have to be on guard against that as well. None of us are immune to the temptation to, to try to gain popularity, even when trying to proclaim the gospel. It, it's, it's like trying to mix oil and water. Self-promotion uh, self and gospel proclamation, they just don't go together. If my method of gospel proclamation directs more attention to me than to Jesus, I am not a genuine minister of the gospel. And neither are you. Hunger for personal glory is self-serving. And then the fourth self-serving method that Paul denies is this. Being bossy for personal success. Bossy for personal success. And this is in the second half of verse 6. And this is maybe a little bit more veiled, but I, I do think this is another method of selfish gospel ministry that Paul is denying. He says, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Now, he's saying it wouldn't have been wrong for them to do that, but if they had done that out of a selfish motivation, then that would have been wrong. Paul is probably here referring to um, him, himself, and Silvanus and Timothy using the, the, the more general uh, definition of the word apostle, which simply means those who are called out or, or sent out. I think that's what Paul means by the word apostle there. Uh, what he's basically saying is this. We could have been bossy since we are official gospel ministers. But we could have used our designation as missionaries or preachers or apostles to tell you what you should believe and how you should live. We could have said, you ought to listen to us. You must listen to us because we're the, the, the church's official delegation. You've got to. You've got to follow what we say. You've got to obey us. But, but we didn't. That's what Paul is telling them. I'm sure the temptation may have been there. Perhaps some people would have listened to them and obeyed them and they would have seen more success more quickly, at least success in gaining followers for themselves, if they had tried to throw around their status as official messengers of the gospel. But, but they, they sacrificed that. They, they put that down. Uh, they put that away. Paul says, we didn't do that. We didn't boss you around. Bossy, being bossy for personal success is self-serving. But if Paul and Silvanus and Timothy didn't use self-serving methods, then what kind of methods did they use? 
Well, that's where Paul turns to in verse 7 of this passage. I think verse 7 through 12 describes gospel ministry methods which could be characterized not as self-serving, but as self-sacrificial. Instead of working for their own benefit, true ministers of the gospel work for the benefit of others. True ministers of the gospel work for the benefit of others. Verse 7 begins with that transition word, but, which Paul uses to introduce the positive side of his defense of this evidence here in this passage. This positive side, that is what Paul and his companions did do, the methods they did use, runs from verse 7 all the way through verse 12. And I think we can break uh, these verses into four descriptions of self-sacrificial ministry methods. Self-sacrificial ministry methods. The first self-sacrificial ministry method could be described as motherly care. Motherly care. We see this in verses 7 and 8. Paul first compares the way that they acted toward the Thessalonian believers to the way that a mother acts toward her children. He says in verse 7 through 8, But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you have become very dear to us. Notice the words that Paul uses to describe how they felt and acted toward the Thessalonians. They were gentle in their care of them. They weren't bossy. Think back to that previous verse. They were gentle. But not only were they gentle, they were loving in their concern for them. You can see this love in the phrase, affectionately desirous of you. Or perhaps your translation says, fond affection for you. There at the beginning of verse 8. And then you can also see this love at the end of verse 8. Uh, where he uses the word agape, which is the Greek word, uh, one of the Greek words for love. And, and it's used where he says, and you have become very dear to us. And you could translate that, you have become beloved to us. And that's what he's saying. They were gentle in their care of them. They were loving in their concern for them. And they were generous in their ministry among them. Verse 8 says that they were ready, or you could say delighted, to share with the Thessalonians. They were ready, they were eager to give. Not to take. I want you to notice the extent to which they were gentle, loving, and generous. They were ready to share, not just a little bit with them, but their own selves. You see that there? They were ready to share their own selves with them. They were ready to be gentle and loving to the point of expending themselves for the good of the Thessalonians. Another way we could say that is they were self-sacrificial. And what better everyday analogy of giving oneself for the good of another than that of a mother, very specifically here, a nursing mother. Now, I've had the privilege of watching my wife become the nursing mother, to use Paul's words here, to four precious children. And I don't think there's a better word to describe the gentle, loving and generous care a mother has for her children than the word self-sacrificial. Just think about it. A nursing mother sacrifices physical comfort, sleep, and a normal schedule or normal routine. Sometimes it seems like every time we sit down to eat, uh, the baby cries and is ready to eat. And just when my wife is falling asleep, the baby cries and is ready to eat. But she's not harsh and demanding with that little child. No, she is gentle, loving, and generous, giving her very self for the good of that child. A year or two ago, I, I gave my wife a Mother's Day card 
Um, and uh, I told her, it was, told her it was from our children, but they were too little to, to read or pick this out. But the, the outside of the card said, you are a fierce woman who can do anything you set your mind to. And then the inside of the card said, accept sleep and use the bathroom without being interrupted. Happy Mother's Day. And uh, she had a good laugh out of that. But it really is true. Self-sacrifice uh, in so many different ways. Mothers, good mothers, are a great picture of self-sacrifice. By God's grace, I am the recipient of that type of mothering from my amazing mom. And, and my children are a recipient of that type of mothering from their amazing mom, my wife. And that is the, the analogy Paul uses here to describe the manner in which he and his companions ministered the gospel to the Thessalonians. Motherly care is self-sacrificial. And genuine gospel ministry is self-sacrificial. But the second method employed by Paul and his companions could be described as diligent work. Diligent work. We see this in verse number 9. Now remember, Paul is defending himself against the accusation that he is a fraud, that he is just in the gospel ministry for his own personal benefit. In verse 9, Paul says, no, no, that's not the case. Look at what it says. The text says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. The word labor here refers to being tired, fatigued, worn out. The word toil refers to hardship. And Paul says, listen, if anyone says that we showed up just to rip you off and take your money, I want you to remember how hard we worked while we were among you. Instead of making you pay for our food and lodging, we worked night and day working to make money so that we could eat and working to preach the gospel so that you could be saved. So that we wouldn't be a burden to you. We worked night and day. We labored and toiled. We learn in Acts chapter 18 that Paul was a tent maker. So this is probably the type of work he did while he was in Thessalonica to support himself. We learn from Paul's letter to the Philippians in Philippians chapter 4, verse 16, that the Philippian believers, uh, he had just left Philippi when he came to Thessalonica, the Philippian believers sent him money to help cover his expenses while he was in Thessalonica, but probably wasn't enough to cover all of his expenses uh, because here he says that he still had to work. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we learn that the Macedonians, which includes the Philippians, uh, were very poor. And so even though they gave generously, the monetary amount may not have been very much. Even more evidence that here Paul is referring to earning a living by the words labor and toil is found in his second letter to the Thessalonians. In 2 Thessalonians, same phrase, labor and toil. There he says, for you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us because we were not idle when we were with you. In other words, not lazy. Nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. He says this in his first letter to them and in his second letter to them. And so Paul refutes the charge that he and his companions used ministry methods that padded their pockets at the expense of the Thessalonians. No. They labored and toiled. They worked night and day. This diligent work was self-sacrificial. And genuine gospel ministry is self-sacrificial. The third manner in which Paul and his companions ministered the gospel to the Thessalonians could be described as right behavior. Right behavior. In verse 10, Paul says, you are witnesses. And God also, remember he's calling the Thessalonians and God to the witness stand. 
both of you uh, are witnesses how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. If you look back at verse 3 and verse 5, uh, to the possible accusations that were being hurled at Paul, you can see how Paul is able to defend himself by pointing to the exact opposite type of conduct that he and his companions displayed compared to what they were being accused of. Instead of impure and deceitful motives, instead of uh, words of flattery and greediness and glory-seeking, Paul says that they were holy and righteous and blameless. Their behavior pleased God. Their behavior was right toward the Thessalonians uh, believers. And their behavior earned them a reputation among the public in which no true accusation of wrongdoing could be charged to their account and actually hold up in court. Paul says, ask yourself. Ask God. How did we act when we were among you? There's no question in Paul's mind that their manner of conduct proved their genuineness as gospel ministers. And if you think about it, holy, righteous, and blameless conduct often requires self-sacrifice. Acting with holiness often requires sacrificing selfish desires. Acting with righteousness often requires acting with love towards someone, even if it is costly toward, to you. Acting with blamelessness often requires not retaliating. Even when you are mistreated, right behavior is self-sacrificial. Genuine gospel ministry is self-sacrificial. The fourth manner in which Paul and his companions ministered the gospel to the Thessalonians could be described as fatherly instruction. Fatherly instruction. We see this in the last two verses in this passage, verse 11 and 12. One last time, Paul calls the Thessalonians to the witness stand with the words, For you know... He's repeated that over and over for, you know, Thessalonians. And then he gives the final description of their method of gospel ministry. He says, for, you know, how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. First, I want you to notice in these two verses, the action words, he says that they exhorted, encouraged and charged. Your, your translation may use some different words there. They, they kind of all mean somewhat the same thing. Uh, Paul uses three, these three words here to emphasize their strong instruction to the Thessalonians. They taught them. They instructed them. They didn't just drop some information out on the Thessalonians and then leave, but they exhorted and encouraged and charged them to walk in a manner worthy of God. They didn't just pronounce the gospel and then walk away. This, um, but, but instead, they instructed them on the importance of living lives according to God's standards. And that takes time to do that. They didn't tone down the demands of the gospel, deceiving them with a sugar-coated form of the gospel, but they were upfront concerning the demands of the gospel. I mean, they, they spent time talking to them and, and teaching them how to live in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Now, I'm actually going to say verse 12, specifically the last half of verse 12, um, depending on your translation, verse 11 and 12 um, is numbered a little bit differently um, depending on your translation. But I'm going to say that that last phrase there, uh, walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory for next week, Lord willing. 
But I think that that one phrase there deserves a, a lot of attention and more than we have time for uh, today in this sermon. So for our purposes today, it's enough here in these two verses to understand that Paul and his companions gave strong instructions to the Thessalonian believers on how they were to live once they had been saved. Exhortation, encouragement and charging or or imploring takes time and energy and often self-sacrifice. It would have, been, would have been much easier for Paul just to tell him what the gospel is and then leave. But he didn't do that. Paul's emphasis for the point of defending himself is on the manner in which he gave these instructions. How did he exhort and encourage and charge them? He says in verse 11, like a father with his children. We know what Paul um, thought about the role of fathers. To understand this, we've got to ask the question, what is, what is it like for a father to instruct his children? What does that look like? Well, there's definitely bad examples in our world of, of a father instructing his children the, the, the wrong way, in the wrong manner. But Paul's not thinking about that. He's thinking about the right manner. We know what Paul thinks, uh, how Paul thinks a father should instruct his children if we go to the uh, book of Ephesians. There in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, the apostle Paul writes, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You see, God's word places the primary responsibility of the instruction of children on the father. And so it's, it's, it's not surprising that Paul uses the father analogy to talk about instructing the Thessalonians. Where he used the mother analogy earlier to talk about their their uh, genuine love and care and concern for the Thessalonians. The father is not to instruct the children with a heavy hand of harshness that would provoke them to anger. He tells, tells the Ephesians, don't provoke your children to anger when you teach them. So how then are fathers to instruct? Well, what is the opposite of, of a heavy-handed harshness that would provoke someone to anger? The opposite is, is firm but self-sacrificial love. The same love modeled by our Heavenly Father who is firm in His condemnation of sin and unwavering in His standard of holiness, but who lovingly gave His own Son to redeem us from sin and who lovingly provides His Holy Spirit to help us grow in holiness and who lovingly treats us with incredible patience through all of our stumblings and failings along the way into His kingdom and glory. Fatherly instruction is self-sacrificial. Genuine gospel ministry is self-sacrificial. So here's what Paul is saying in this passage. He's saying we gave you motherly care and fatherly instruction. Thessalonians, we were gentle and loving towards you. We were truthful and gracious. We didn't take from you. We gave to you. Our conduct was blameless. We worked for your benefit, not for our own. We sacrificed ourselves for you, not you for ourselves. We are innocent of all of these charges. We are genuine gospel ministers. Church, just consider two applications from this passage today. Number one is this. Be on your guard against the temptation to make gospel ministry about yourself. 
There is no place in gospel ministry for us to engage in flattery for personal influence or for us to be greedy for personal gain or hungry for personal glory or bossy for personal success. No place for that. When you share the gospel with others, you must do so in a manner in which the glory of Jesus and the good of the person you are sharing with are front and center in your mind. The second point of application is this. Be ready to give both the words of the gospel and yourself to those you seek to evangelize. To those you seek to minister the gospel to. Be ready to give both the words of the gospel and yourself to those you seek to evangelize. We can't think that we can live lives which fail to align with the gospel and expect people to listen to the message of the gospel that we proclaim. How you live matters. Our gospel proclamation must be combined with holy and righteous and blameless lifestyles. We can't think that we can just dump the message of the gospel on someone and expect them to believe without building a relationship with them, a relationship with, which often requires self-sacrifice. Evangelization, gospel ministry is more than just a rehearsed speech in order to, uh, to, 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 to help someone get saved. It's more than just handing someone a piece of paper that has the gospel written on it. Now, don't get me wrong. You have to tell people the gospel. And sometimes that is a, a rehearsed speech. Sometimes that is handing them a, a piece of paper, a tool that would help them understand the gospel better. But most people are going to look at the genuineness of your relationship with them to provide the credibility they need. To believe the message that you are sharing with them. A lot of people. They don't just want to hear the message that we proclaim. They want to see whether or not we really care about them. Whether or not we're willing to give ourselves to them. And at the same time, whether or not our lives are an accurate reflection of the God that we say we serve and we are seeking to persuade them to serve. We could say it this way. In our gospel ministry, how we live matters. How we live matters. Church, may we not undermine the gospel message by living lives that point away from Jesus as king instead of to Jesus as king. The gospel message is a message of the self-sacrifice of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So how wrong then would it be for us to proclaim a message of self-sacrifice using methods of self service. May our methods always match our message. I want to close with the words of one writer who said that the accusations hurled against Paul's character were like torches flung at an unpopular figure. They simply served to light up his grandeur. All the accusations did was serve to, to show how holy and righteous and blameless their conduct was. May the same be true of us, brothers and sisters in Christ. May our methods for gospel proclamation be found worthy of God and His kingdom. 
May our manner of sharing the gospel be characterized by self-sacrifice for the good of others and the glory of King Jesus. May we be found to be genuine gospel ministers. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, help us to take to heart all that we learn here in this passage of Scripture. Father, help us to be genuine gospel ministers. Father, there are so many people around us who need to hear the good news of the gospel. And Father, you called us to share it with them. We are all called to be ministers of the gospel. But Father, how we minister to the gospel matters. Lord, the, the, the methods that we use matter. Father, we have to go with, with self-sacrifice. Being willing to give of ourselves. To be gentle. To be loving. To be concerned. To, to be generous. Father, to to work hard. Father, to sacrifice maybe certain privileges. Father, to, to be willing to make sure that we have holy and righteous and blameless conduct. And sometimes that requires self-sacrifice, Lord. Father, to give fatherly instruction where we, we are firm in what the truth says, but we deliver that message with a deep, self-sacrificial love. Father, the same kind of love that You have for us as our Heavenly Father. Lord, may we all, may we as a church, be genuine Gospel ministers for the glory of King Jesus and for the good of the lost around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.